Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Mountain Mindset. My name is Andrew Manzuk. I'm a mental performance coach, professor of sports science, and the founder of MZK Performance. This week, I'm joined by Robbie Phillips. Robbie is a professional rock climber and a former member of the Great Britain climbing team. Over the last two decades, Robbie's climbed countless hard, single-pitch and big-wall routes, both locally in Scotland, while also travelling extensively as part of various international expeditions. During the conversation, I really appreciated Robbie's insights into how he stays present and positive while projecting, and also his openness in sharing some of his personal challenges over the past 12 months. On that note, let's dive into our conversation. Robbie, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. So kick us off here, Robbie. Introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, my name's Robbie Phillips. I'm 31 and a half uh, from Edinburgh, Scotland. Um, yeah, I think uh, I've been climbing now for over 15 years. Uh, I, I've gone through the whole transition of starting off indoors, getting into outdoor climbing. Originally kind of was competition climber up until I was like 18, 19 years old. Did the sort of GB team international comp circuit thing for a bit. Then got into you know, sport climbing, bouldering. That was in focus for many years and then later on kind of went back to my roots as a, as a Scottish climber, got into the trad climbing and then big wall and multi-pitch stuff, kind of traveled the world climbing places like Patagonia, El Capitan and Madagascar, all those sorts of crazy places. And, and that's kind of just led me up to now. I'm pretty much of an all-rounder really. Yeah, you being an all-rounder is something that's always really impressed me about your climbing career and how varied uh, it is in the tasks that you take on and, and the routes or boulders that you you climb from big walls through to kind of the single pitch stuff locally. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. I think like, you know, it's it's one of those like, you know, like you're not a you're always what is the, the term for it? You're you're master of master of none. I can't remember. What is, what is, what is the, the word, the phrase? For oh, it? like a jack of all trades. Jack of all trades. That's it. I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. And sometimes it can, it can feel a little bit like, especially when I've got the background of, you know, having been performance sport climbing and very focused on on that and the high end grades. And sometimes when you come back from like an expedition, or you know, you're not trad climbing, you feel really weak and and rubbish when you come back indoors and when you go back on like a hard boulder or a sport climb, it can take a bit of a knock to the old confidence, but I think that what I really like about it is that it's never, you never, never a dull day. There's always something new. You can climb every, you know, month throughout the whole year. You can go winter climbing, you can go bouldering, you can go sport climbing. There's always something new to do, always new challenges um, that cover the widest spectrum from physical stuff through to mentally challenged stuff. So I think I, I really enjoy it for that, really. Yeah, something I'm really interested in diving into maybe a little bit later on in the conversation is some of the crossovers there between the different uh, disciplines that you're involved in. So how, you know, skills transfer maybe psychologically or maybe sometimes they don't transfer too well. I think that's mm -hmm. a, it's a really interesting avenue to explore. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Definitely excited to talk about that. And then what's something that we might not know about you? Okay, so I... <laughs> <laughs> I was, I saw you'd, you'd asked that question and I wasn't really sure. So I asked my girlfriend <laughs> just before getting on this call and she was like, well, um, you know, maybe, 
maybe you like you like cows. So I brought my like tea mug here. Cow, cows are my favorite animal. <laughs> Had the Highland cow. Um, but uh, no, I, I honestly, I honestly don't know. Um, maybe that I don't know. Um, I fucking don't know. I like, I like cows. I love animals. Animals are like really big part of my life. Um, I guess like you know, I'm a professional climber and I climb a lot, but I've got you know animals in this house and I love I love my animals. I guess that's what. Yeah, that's probably a good one. <laughs> And that's been something that's been present throughout your whole life, kind of from childhood, yeah, through. Yeah. So, like, I grew up with with dogs and and cats and uh, and a farmhouse. Actually, we don't have like farm animals or anything, but we've got like a lot of land around us. There's like, squirrels and rabbits in the garden. So, growing up with all the animals has been pretty nice. And um, and yeah, I, I've always had like a good close relationship with all the animals I've owned. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's probably my my other thing. It's been uh, it's been interesting to hear that as a common theme. I think throughout these interviews, I've interviewed a lot of people who really like animals, and it's been really yeah. interesting to hear about kind of that side of their life, especially when we look at them as you know pro climbers or athletes outside of that. Yeah, 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 certainly, yeah, for sure. So, Robbie, when you reflect on your career to date, have have there been any standout moments along the way? Anything that's really kind of stuck with you? Um, yeah. So I was thinking, there's probably two two things i think that were really big milestones in my career uh, for two very different reasons i'd say that the first one was actually i guess climbing related but not related to performance as such more like a career development thing and that was the point in which i decided to pursue uh, climbing as a career um to try and like actually make a go of um you know making climbing financially viable I'd left school, um, you know, there was a bit of pressure on me to go to university to do a degree and you know, I went to a very good school and uh, I got, you know, the grades to go to university and uh, I went to study biochemistry, but like the, the only reason I was going was because I, I guess I felt that, that pressure, that societal pressure and, uh, and need to, to do it really, uh, which I think a lot of people feel, but I knew that it wasn't for me and about six weeks into the course, I made a decision that I wasn't going to continue. I wanted to climb into my life and I remember the exact uh, moment standing outside the university, having just spoken to my, uh, I guess my lecturer, my, my, you know, the, I don't know what you call them, you're sort of like the, the teacher, the, the professor that you see, you know, at the university who kind of deals with you. And I told him I wasn't going to be going back to university and I wanted to pursue climbing. And he was like, that's cool. That's fine by me. You know, you can do that. It's your choice. And I remember standing outside the buildings and just being like, climbing is going to be the rest of my life from now on. Like as of now, that's all I have to think about is climbing. And I can remember that just filling me with so much happiness and joy knowing that. And at the time, I remember not knowing how I was going to make money. I wasn't sure how I was going to make a go of it, but um, I was determined to make it work. Um, my parents have always been massively supportive of me um, and the one thing they said was so long as you can make this financially viable so long as you can actually make a living and they wanted me to make a good living out of it you know they didn't want me just to be living on the bread line they were like come on you, you need to you need to be able to actually make some money so I was like um, so long as you can do that then we're happy to support you um, so I was like I guess like from there, I kind of had a real 
determination to make a career and not just you know not just work in a climbing center really and 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 make enough money just to like to 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 kind of do do the one or two trips a year i i really wanted to make a good career of it i wanted to um if i was going to if i was going to go down the coaching line which you went down you know initially i did go down the coaching line i wanted to work with the best uh climbers i wanted to help people per- perform i didn't want to just um kind of do the birthday parties and uh and the taster courses i, I really wanted to help everybody i guess from from sort of amateur climbers get better at climbing to perform better to achieve their goals and ambitions everything up to like gbt members um who were competing so yeah i guess uh that was like a really pivotal moment for me um choosing to make climbing a career and um yeah i'd say like from a climbing perspective in the actual realms of performance i think a really huge moment for me was actually not that long ago it was uh when i completed the alpine trilogy uh, this uh, trilogy of uh, hard alpine rock routes in the european alps and uh when i finally did the last one it was the culmination of you know a, a, of like many 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 years of training and and focus and a sort of i guess it would be cliche to call it a dream but it was you know it was like it was like a some an objective i'd had since i was probably like 16 years old you know since probably the year after i started climbing i can remember the day i first heard about the alpine trilogy it was on a a drive back home from Malam Cove in Yorkshire with my climbing mentor Neil McGeeky and he mentioned it to me told me about them and it really planted the seed and um you know the alpine trilogy it requires such a whole host of of skills from being physically you know very capable to being mentally strong being able to deal with runouts and and uh, changing conditions and in an alpine environment and in my mind from a very young age i thought how cool would it be to be that climber that can deal with all that and and go out there and and succeed and uh and i i guess i i started that journey early on and in the sort of the you know the many years of training that you know i did through my gb team you know time you know in com- competitions through the sport climbing phase and then eventually into the sort of like the trad and multi pitch phase that all built up allowing me to complete that and then seeing the completion of that standing on top of the the wildekaiser in uh, the austrian alps was just like yeah life changing moment it was like i realized what i was capable of doing that i could set a goal and achieve it so i've got i've got two comments there the first of which is to do with uh, making a career or making a go of it as a pro climber um yeah. and i'm curious how you broke that down in terms of uh like the career aspect of it you've seen you seem like you've always been really driven to pursue different avenues and be very, really varied and really take like a high performance approach to the professional aspect of climbing. Um, yeah. But what I'm, what I'm curious about is how did you go about breaking that down? Was that a lot of trial and error? Was there kind of a plan from the start? And then how does that breakdown look for you for you these days? Obviously, you have a fantastic YouTube channel. You do some speaking, some coaching. Yeah, I guess. Um, so early, early on, I mean, from the very beginning, it was right i need to i need to make money so i can go climbing so the simple the simple job you know a, a very simple thing i could have done was get to the climbing wall and uh, get a job at the climbing wall and start making some money but i i knew that you know that environment was going to be really healthy for me to develop my climbing skills because 
I was in a climb all the time, hanging out with really good climbers. That's where all the good climbers hang out. That's the most of the good climbers had jobs at the climbing wall. Um, but it's also like a, I guess it's also like a, a good in, a good environment to develop other skills that, you know, go that really help for developing a career in the climbing industry. You know, you you develop coaching skills. Um, I was really focused on that early on, and then route setting skills. I you know had an amazing opportunity to not just to route set in the climbing center, but also to like set for national and international competitions. And that really gave me a, a massive boost to being able to travel internationally and set in other countries. And then of course, um, I guess as as I was doing that, I was meeting people, I was traveling, and I was I was kind of slowly building a, a reputation, I guess, not just as a climber, but just also as somebody who had a set of skills in the industry for in various ways. And um, I wouldn't say that I necessarily had like, no, I would say I do have, I did have a plan. I did have strategy, but that has always like, has always kind of changed. And it does, it does change as, as time's go time has gone on. I've tended to, to do the things I wanted to do, but always with the approach that I wanted to do well in them. If I was going to be coaching, as I said earlier, I wanted to be coaching performance and I wanted to help people get the most out of what they what they had and develop their skills. If I was route setting, I wanted to set the best routes. I wanted to learn what the best route setters were doing and I wanted to set for the, the national and international competitions. And um, and uh, and yeah, so I was I was always very I guess performance orientated in, in kind of every aspect, very motivated, very driven. And um, and yeah, I think that as time time went on, I perhaps, you know, I guess like my interest in in following like purely coaching and route setting and being an indoor climbing wall, that that kind of changed. You know, I became much more interested in the outdoor uh, world and trying to spend more time outdoors. And uh, I saw an avenue for getting involved with brands. And I guess I was, I guess like, you know, I, I had already made a name through coaching and, you know, in the, in the competition scene and, and, and I was starting to do, I was doing quite hard rates outdoors. And so you kind of get like a few, few articles here and there on UKC and if you make a few videos, that sort of thing. Um, but you develop a name and then you, you, you get to know the, the the reps at the brands and I made some really good contacts early on um, with like Edelred, a German climbing gear company who have been, who have sponsored me since I was 18 years old. And, uh, and also like, um, I guess Evolve Climbing Shoes were the first, my first shoe sponsor. And then I went over to Scarpa and, I've, and ever since I've been with Scarpa, it's been like an amazing, I've had an amazing relationship with them and they've allowed me to do some really cool stuff. And then also with like Patagonia, uh, and I guess like my my career just really has really developed in a in a very different way um, since I got involved with, with sponsors. I started like it's it was kind of a bit about like you know organizing trips, content provision, um, writing articles, getting involved with with media, and again a whole host of new skill set skills that I had to develop. Um, but it, it was always really interesting and 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 challenging and. Again, I always wanted to do it the best I could possibly do. So if I was writing, I was excited to try and, you know, get an article in the, in the magazines or to try and, um, you know, write for Patagonia's, you know, journal or something, which is like a really high end, uh, you know, place to put your writing. And, 
and yeah, I guess like I, I don't have much more to say about that. I think <laughs> that was that was pretty much it, really. Yeah. Is that drive to be uh, either your best or the best, however you want to term it? Is that something you see outside of climbing too? Or is that something that's exclusively within your your kind of climbing sphere? Um, I think it's probably something that I've I'm quite I guess I'm quite competitive internally. Like just inside me, I am a very competitive person. Um, and I think like early on in my life, it was competitive with other people, but I've had to, I guess, I guess like over the years and especially when you're, when you're in climbing, like climbing is such a wholesome environment generally. And although there is competition between individuals, it's very friendly. And, uh, I think I, I ch changed that early on, I changed that competitive drive against other people to being more about just improving me. And being the best I could be. So it wasn't about being the best anymore. I gave up the dream of being the best climber in the world quite a long time ago. Because <laughs> you know, I realized it probably wasn't gonna happen. But um I wanted to be the best climber I could be. And uh, and the same and the same in the sort of uh in the same in the sort of like the professional realm as well. And my my second question was to do with having this long-term goal from your teenage years and then finally achieving it maybe in your late twenties or early thirties. And mm -hmm. how you went about, I guess, breaking that down or taking steps towards that? Was that always something that was on your mind? Was it in the corner of your mind? Was it something you dip away from from a few years and come back with an enhanced skill set? What did that look like? Yeah. <clears throat> right. So um, I guess, as I said, like the seed was planted very, very long time ago. Um, and I've, I've always had, I would have always had it in my mind that I wanted to get into those higher big big wall multi-pitch high alpine rock climbing routes from even from like fairly early on in my sport climbing i, I kind of i guess i i knew i wanted to go there but i didn't know how and i didn't you know i yeah i just, I just didn't know how really i didn't and so i i didn't necessarily like really push for it until i was in my mid-20s but i think because the Alpine trilogy, because I knew the Alpine trilogy was the thing I really wanted to do, and that was the that was the thing I wanted to do, and I knew the grade of the climbs was about eight B plus or or five fourteen A for for Americans. I knew that I had to climb that level in order to achieve it. So I basically set about trying to uh, in my sport climbing, trying to climb in the five fourteens and above eight B plus to be able to to sort of feel comfortable in that environment, uh, at least physically. And then I can remember it was 2013, I think it was, when I first went and tried something really big and scary. And it wasn't in one of the Alpine trilogies. It was more like a, it was a taste of what that sort of thing is. And it was Bella Vista on the Trecime de Lavaredo in, in Italy, in the Dolomites. And uh, after I went and did that, I really had a feel for what, being in this environment is, I understood it. And uh, although that was much lower level than the Alpine trilogy, I, 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 I was like, right, I can climb this level. I can climb 80 plus fairly quickly. You know, these routes are multi pitches. There's lots of hard climbing in them, but I know that I can climb the maximum grade. So I've just got to go out and try them really. And, uh, and then it was just like the year after 2014, when I went and tried the first and uh, it was just a case of, I know I can climb it. I know I can climb it physically and technically. I've climbed a lot at that grade. I'd, I'd done like, you know, 
probably 40 or 50 8B plus routes. So I knew I could achieve that grade. But um, and I knew that I knew what uh, the exposure was like and I knew what the environment was like from having done Bella Vista. And then it was just a case of going out and trying it. And that's what I did. I tried it. <laughs> and then I did the first one. And then, and then I, I decided after that, that I didn't want to do them year after year. I wanted to give them a year between so I could do some different things in between and explore different, different stuff. And so I just did it like that. I did, I think it was 2014 was the first one. Then it was 2016. And then it was 2000 and, oh no, it wasn't, it was 2015, 2017, 2019. That was it. So, uh, so yeah, it was like a two year, two years, a year between each one. Were there any major tactical decisions that, that you made when when approaching those routes? Oft, often we'll break down sport performance right into physical, psychological, mm. tactical, technical. And you mentioned yeah. you know you had the physical capacity, the the mental fortitude, and uh, the technical ability to climb at that level. Were there any tactical decisions that you made when approaching them? Yeah, I used. I mean, like the the most obvious one was using fixed lines to be able to work the pitches to break them down into their essentially their 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 parts each pitch by pitch um i knew that if i could you know climb the hardest pitch then i could definitely climb the easier pitches so it was i guess it was first and foremost about making sure i could climb the hardest pitch putting the time into that and uh, and then working out the easier pitches um and i took the same i had the same approach with with every single every single one uh, I would arrive, I would go ground up the first day, literally climb from the bottom all the way to the top of the wall, just so I could be like, I've ground up this and then take, take a load of static and just like put from the top of the route all the way down to the bottom and then spend however long I needed working out the pitches. The, the thing about these routes is they're not, it's not exactly, it's a queue of people waiting to get on them. You, you tend to be up there on your own swinging about on a rope. Um, so. Yeah, I, I just broke it down into chunks really and, and took it like that. And when I felt comfortable pretty much on every pitch, not necessarily comfortable, when I felt like I could do every pitch, I would just go for a red point. So Silbergeier, I red pointed on my first red point goal. Like I, the first time I tried to do it, I did it. And that was like a massive confidence boost. And I ended up having, like I did that early in the summer and my outstrip, and I ended up having probably one of the best seasons I've ever had in my entire life um, and then in the end of silence the other one that took me a bit longer we'd had really bad conditions I had one red point goal and that failed and then had to come back a couple of weeks later when the conditions had changed a bit and then did it with a with an injured finger as well actually and then uh, the third one this Kaisenoi Clyder which is the hardest that one took me the whole summer because we just had this brutally hot and very humid summer and me and my friend Mish, we were just like finding it so hard to work the route. But um, we just waited and waited for the conditions to align. And the day the conditions just seemed to to, to be there, we just went for it and, and did it. Yeah, that must be such like uh, must have been such a powerful experience to do it first red point and then to see that mindset shift over the over the years of trying these routes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I guess like something else I was going to say is. Um, yeah, I think can with these with these roots, it can be kind of a bit of like a it plays with your head quite a lot because it's much more. It's, it's not just about being physically strong enough or you know or technically good enough to climb these things. Like when I was on Silbergeier, I um I remember the first day. 
just as I just said, like you don't tend to find other people in this route. And so the first day there was another person in the route, and I remember seeing this this this, this uh, two guys up high on the route, and me and uh, my friend climbed up to them, and uh, just these two German guys, uh, an older guy and a younger guy, and uh, I was asking them if they tried it before, and it turned out the younger guy had tried it for like the last five seasons, and he said he'd fallen off the last pitch every every year. And I was like, oh my God, this is, this is crazy. I was like, how hard do you climb? And he said, 9A plus. I was like, Jesus. I was like, at the time, I probably only climbed like 8C. And I was like, oh my God, this is going to be, I, I'm out of my depth now. And then, but then it was really funny. Um, I just like, I just decided to like try it anyway. And I had to think four days of, of working the route and figuring out the pitches. And the fifth day I went for a red point and did it. And, uh, and I was like, oh, that's really funny. Like it wasn't like it went down easily. I had to try really, really hard, but um, it just shows you that it's not really about how hard you climb. It's just it's keeping things together. It's there's there's so much more, so much more to it. You know, it's being able to like try hard when it really matters. Yeah, I think you're speaking there to the complexity of, of the sport. Right, very often we're tempted especially in climbing coaching i think to break down climbing to these like x's and o's where it's like you're this strong and so you climb this hard but yeah. really there's especially in that environment so much complexity going into performing yeah yeah totally and and you know what i've over the year i mean i think like yeah you're right especially in that environment there's so many things going on and um and yeah you don't have to be the strongest climber to do really well but equally in every other discipline i'm always surprised by people who perform at the highest level and yet compared to this other person are nowhere near as strong. Um, I mean, like, you know, guys who can boulder, you know, font 8B plus 8C, but can't dead hang one armed off a, off a lattice edge or a, off a rung, you know, and I'm like, yes, doing it for the weaklings, <laughs> you know? Yeah, we talk a lot about um, the psychological side or, or the mental or tactical side being such like a difference maker at the top level, um, especially in sports. I mean, in climbing too, but sports outside of climbing where it's like there's a lot of athletes who are good enough to be, you know, World Cup level Olympic athletes. But the difference maker kind of maybe comes down to those small percentages we gain elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 100%. What about any challenges along the way? Obviously, you've had this, you know, two decade long plus climbing career. Have there been any major challenges or setbacks? And then what effect did they have on you at the time? And even in hindsight, looking back, how have they changed maybe your course or trajectory? Um, you know what? I, I, I have a good one for this and I, I've completely forgotten it. <laughs> any, any setbacks? Um, I've been quite lucky that I haven't really been injured for any length of time. So that's, I mean, that's, that's been a really positive thing. Um, oh God, any setbacks? Um, I mean, I guess, I guess like some, to some extent this last lockdown has been pretty awful, I guess. Um, oh, sorry. I, I had, I had a really good one. I'd completely forgotten what it was. Yeah, let's talk uh, about lockdown. How have you been spending your time over the last, uh, 12 to 18 months, um, Obviously, I have a lot of listeners from North America and, and things have maybe been a little bit different for better or worse here. But I know the UK has gone through some pretty strict time periods. How's that, how's that period of time been? Yeah, so I guess like early on in lockdown, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. 
um it was like quite novel in fact um quite fun you know it's like i guess for like at the time like a decade of my life i'd been just moving from one project to the next and uh i'm quite an obsessive personality very high high energy and i don't tend to you know to rest very much which is you know quite bad sometimes but um lockdown really forced me to uh just to like basically have no plans and no goals um and just to to really i guess like reflect on on where i was going and and things that was like the first lockdown and and as a result i think i i left that lockdown feeling energized and uh and psyched and and everything was going in a really good direction and then the the second lockdown happened and i guess this is probably I, I guess I would call this my biggest setback purely, but it, it's quite a difficult one. It's quite a difficult one to say it's a, it is a setback, but I'm still living through it in a sense. I just lost my dad, like, and I was, you know, able to, to do and find peace, you know, in myself. So that was a really, a really difficult period. It still is a really difficult period. Um, cause it was, you know, only like, I don't know, four or five months ago or something like that. Um, but you know, I think like, you know, although it was really difficult as, as things have kind of eased off and um, getting back out, climbing again and um, getting back at the crags, not, you know, I guess like I went through a stint where I was training really, really hard and I felt like I was going really, really well. And, but then with no, with no end in sight with the lockdown, I did kind of let it just, uh, I decided to, just to halt the training cause it was getting too much, you know? Um, and, and so I just allowed myself to relax, get out climbing. And enjoy you know just local crags which to all intents and purposes are totally shit um but it allowed i don't know i i found like a lot of enjoyment in just uh just going out climbing and uh, and trying some trying climbing some choss uh climbing some rubbishy rubbishy routes but just you know finding sort of like small short-term goals in them and uh and yeah now things are easing up psyched to basically go and do some proper climbing <laughs> Yeah, that must have been, I'm sorry to hear that, it must have been really hard to process, particularly without, um, I mean, at any time, but without the normal coping mechanisms that we might have in like a less restricted lifestyle. Um, and yeah. it, it sounds like you found that by being able to get outside a little bit more and returning back to maybe what you find most enjoyable about climbing as an activity, even if it does yeah. involve climbing on kind of local chossy quarries and whatever you have around you. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly, 100%. So what mindset do you approach uh, life with? Do you approach performance with? We touched on it a little bit as we went there, but how do you, how do you kind of perceive that? Um, so I think I've always generally been very positive uh, as an individual. Um, as a youngster, I think it used to annoy people how positive I was. Um, you know, there's that little annoying kid who just is like super psyched all the time. And just wants to know everything about climbing and what everyone's been up to and stuff and tell everyone like how i'm you know what i'm up to and what i want to do um and i guess like so positivity has always played a huge a huge role in my climbing um but i think even more so than that like hard is like super super important to me I, I want to know that if i am going climbing or doing anything that i'm just trying my best you know trying my hardest um i think like the the biggest uh, disappointments I've had throughout my climbing career and I I guess I can only like I only think, think of a few ones that I can that really stood out were you know like times that I felt like I didn't try my best um, and 
you know, I didn't give it my all for whatever reason. Um, you know, early on, it might have been because I was dealing with uh, the fear of failure, you know, like in a competition, you know, I was like allowing the pressure to get the better of me. And, and then I, I just wouldn't, wouldn't try my hardest and I would give up before I had a chance to fail, which is, you know, failure in itself. And then, uh, I mean, I guess like, you know, I, I learned to, to manage that better. I learned to deal with it better and basically came to the conclusion that so long as I'm trying my hardest, it doesn't matter if I, if I fail in a climb, um, I've gone out there, I've given my all I've, and I've, I've, and that's, that's all you can really ask. I think that lines up so well with when you were talking about kind of wanting to be the best you can be in business, the best you can be in climbing, the best you can be in, uh, representing the brands that support you. Uh, that, that all seems yeah. like it aligns really well for you. Yeah. 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 For sure. Definitely. Have you found that's, that's changed a lot over the years or has that been pretty standard through your, for out, for your adult life? Um, again, like, I think kind of, as I said, like in the, in the early days, I, I certainly struggled with, uh, with pressure and, uh, I really had to learn, you know, how to manage that and, um, and, and, and how to, and how to essentially try hard and not feel, not, and not feel that pressure not necessarily not feel the pressure, but just like, just learn how to manage it better. Just learn how to kind of like push it to the back. And, uh, I can, you know, like I've certainly, um, over the years, you know, used certain strategies, um, to, to kind of overcoming this and, uh, and slowly over the years, it kind of just became ingrained into my psyche just to always go out and try hard. I mean, even like climbing today at the, at the wall, you know, I, I actually had a, had a campus board session yesterday. I've got a huge big flapper here. I actually cut my, uh, my thumb chopping onions the other day there. It's absolutely horrible. It's disgusting. And it's like a really bad cut. So I had my thumb taped up and I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to do anything today. I felt terrible. It was hot. It was humid. And I pulled on like an AA plus eight B thing and, and managed to like get up it just screaming from about halfway, you know? So I was like desperately trying to, and by the end of the session, I was like falling off on seven Bs, but still trying hard. So, you know, um, yeah, I think that has been, I think, I think obviously, as I said, I think, I think I've like, I've come a long way um, since the early days. Um, but I, yeah, I think I've, I've kind of figured it out and um, yeah, my psyche now is like really good for, for just trying hard. You mentioned that there's been some strategies that you've kind of acquired over the years, and that's actually something I really wanted to chat about. I want to chat a little bit about are there any psychological tools, strategies, techniques that you use uh, on a regular basis, either for performance or for or for wellness. Obviously, they're so interlinked. Yeah, yeah. So I'd say like the this the, the key strategy for performance was very it's very simple. It's like a very simple thing that I I used um, when I was scared to fall. You know, when I was uh, learning, just when I probably when I was like sixteen or something, and I was reading Rock Warrior's Way, trying to to learn as much as I could about how to overcome the fear of falling. And uh, I just learned. Uh, I I read about this thing like called a mantra, just basically like a set of words that you can use in your mind to just kind of um, get yourself, get your 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 psyche set uh, in place for for performing. And at the time, my mantra for, for, for falling was one more move. And it was just simple. It was just simply just to think about one more move, just 
as long as you can think about the next move, just just complete the next move, and and then and then you can you know think then think about the next move and then think about the next. Move. Don't think about the quick draw. Don't think about falling. And uh, I use that because quite often I would you know get above a quick draw, and I would put my foot on a foothold, and I wouldn't want to move. Um, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to take my my hand off the clip. I would just be like frozen. But this one more move mantra just allowed me to kind of keep pushing, and then I'd find myself in better putting positions, and I could flip, and then and then I could progressively try harder. And then and then after a while, I I found that although I um, had kind of overcome the initial fear of falling or ma helped manage it a bit better, I I still was struggling a bit with the fear of failure. So when I was trying really hard things, I, I didn't want to fail. Or when I was in competition, I didn't want to fail. Um, so I ended up using the same mantra um, for that. And I can remember um, on, a, on an 8C actually in, in Spain, um, I'd only tried it once before. And uh, I knew the top, I didn't know the top section very well. And uh, it was all these little bad footholds and it was weird sequence and, and I hadn't, Again, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I remember getting to this jug and like shaking out and just looking up and thinking one more move, just focus on one more move. That's all you need to think about. And I, I remember like the top sort of 10, 15 meters, just basically just like one more move, one more move, one more move. And I, I, I just, it was great. Cause I just, I just focused on the climbing. I didn't think about anything else. And I got to the top and, uh, and I've used that. I guess I used that for a time, but it just became, as I said, it became ingrained in my psyche. Um, so I, I don't really think about it anymore. I, I hardly ever use it just because I, I kind of always try hard now. Um, so it's kind of okay. Um, and, and I guess like, you know, that was climbing performance. Um, and now like in terms of like a sort of, I don't know, like uh, managing yourself, like self-help sort of self sort of thing, like mental, mental health sort of thing. Um, I, I don't have any like real strategies for that, but something that I, I think I am quite good at is always just talking to friends about things. So, you know, if I ever have any, any issues or any problems, I just, I, I've got good friends who I just talk to about it. And just, even if they don't want to listen, <laughs> I'll be like, whilst they're bullying me, I'll be like, by the way, I want to talk to you about this. And I'll just, you know, kind of open up. And then I'll say, oh, Robbie, that's too much information. <laughs> but, you know, no, nah, I think that's something I've always been pretty good at. Um, it's kind of just like, putting my my heart on my sleeve and kind of talking about things and that's a that's really an environment you create right like you start to build that comfort with people around you and normalize that and i think that's a real kind of important way we're looking as a society in recent years to start to yeah. normalize kind of opening up about some of that stuff yeah yeah exactly i think like especially amongst well i mean i get amongst everyone but like a lot of guys like have this sort of bravado i guess like it's quite classic isn't it classic guy you know thinking that you have to be super strong and I, I i think that you know i i know that i i can be a bit like that i i you know it's i don't like to show weakness but i do i understand it's important to to talk about things when you're when you're not feeling when you're not feeling good and and uh, it does help um massively um so yeah i think it is really important i think it's it definitely like it's, it's coming out a lot now, I think, uh, and it's good to talk about it. And I guess that's, I also use, I guess that's another thing actually is with the social media stuff. Um, the one, yeah, one thing I did notice uh, during lockdown was, you know, I, I was feeling really, really bad because, you know, there was other, maybe there was other countries that were um, not in lockdown 
or perhaps it was people that live next to amazing climbing. And I just felt this, I was like, Jesus, like I'm stuck here. My life is falling to bits. I'm super sad. Like, you know, and I've just lost my dad. Like, you know, there's, there's loads of things going on in my life. I'm just really flipping depressed. And I looked and I, I was looking at all these Instagram images and, and feeling really, don't know what I was feeling, feeling jealous, feeling, feeling sad and depressed. And then I looked at my own Instagram and I was like, do you know what? If anybody was looking at my Instagram, they'd fucking think the same thing. Sorry about swearing. <laughs> they, they, you know, they, they'd think the same thing. They'd be like, Robbie's having a bloody good time. He's like out there, you know, smashing rocks in his quarries and all this stuff, or like, you know, training hard on his board. And I was, it made me think, you know, actually, I think like as a, as somebody who, I guess not just, not just as somebody who has a, has a following, but it's, it's, it's even more important that I do, is I think I should probably share that everything's not a hundred percent in my life, that there are, um, I do have issues. I do have problems, you know, just like everybody else. And so I actually actively decided to start sharing more of that. Um, you know, not, not like, not just the climbing stuff. I know people love this climbing stuff, but I think that it was really important to kind of like, you know, share just by the way, just going to say this, I'm having a shit time. Uh, I know probably a lot of people are having a shit time as well, but just, so you know, it's not all, um, you know, roses over here as well. Just because I figured that might um, that might be the case. Other people were looking at my Instagram feed bad on it, and actually, I had like a really positive response from it. I had lots of people get in touch and be like, "Oh, they they were really happy that I shared that," and uh, and I, and I've seen a lot of people sharing similar things. So I think it's really important uh, that that is done. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. I um I, I totally agree, and I think you touched on it. It's really important for you know people like yourself who others look up to and younger athletes kind of um, aspire to kind of maybe follow in your footsteps a little bit to really start that normalization process. I think that's um I mean that's just like really good work on your part. So I, kind of thanks on their behalf, I guess. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, totally. I mean, it, it, I mean, again, it stemmed from my own feelings you know i was just looking at i was feeling i was looking at people and being like oh you're having a great bloody time out there aren't you <laughs> you know and then and then i took a step back and was just like yeah like i bet there's people looking at me and thinking the same thing um so i just decided to to do a bit of sharing and and it, i think it was a positive thing so i'm going to keep trying to do that yeah what's the the quote is what comparison is the thief of joy and you know just Someone always has it worse and someone always has it better kind of thing. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. Circling back around to your point earlier about mantras, um, I was curious what comes up for you when you when you kind of repeat that phrase, one more move. Is that something that keeps you present? Is that something that uh, kind of drives you to push a little bit harder? What what does that what feeling does that create for you? Um I would say I, I would say, I mean I'd probably say like a bit of both really i guess like one more move is is forward you know it's it's like you're you have you're moving forward there's no there's no going back now it's it's just like come on we've got to do this so try hard don't let go um just keep moving so that that is i guess like us that's the emotion i guess that it instills um but i think when i'm you know you know climbing isn't like a, a cyclic activity it it stops and it starts and there's definitely moments when you know you especially outdoors you get to a rest and then suddenly it, 
you're you're out of the the zone again and you're 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 on a rest and you can think about things you can think about how high you are you can think about what the gear is you can think about what you've got to do now and it's just like oh god it can become overwhelming and uh i guess like, again that the one more move just just gets you back into the zone it brings you back into that that performance zone where you've just got to act you just got to you just got to move you just got to action um and, and and get going and so i think that yeah it does i would say it does a bit of both there and I think what you've provided there, very often when we talk about self-talk from a sports psychology lens, we think about, we can use it in two main ways. We can use it for affirmations, which is what you're talking about. So we can offer ourselves positive or helpful reinforcement, um, kind of like be our own biggest cheerleader, give ourselves important reminders or pointers as we go. Uh, and we can yeah. use it a second way, which is more to reframe. So taking the unhelpful thoughts that are coming in and, you know, thinking about them rationally, offering challenges to them. Uh, coming up with basically a structure to kind of battle with them and i think you've yeah. just provided a perfect example of the first one of those with how we can develop these affirmations and tell ourselves kind of what we need to what we need to hear in the moment um and be really intentional with that as opposed to waiting for it to kind of happen to us and just taking whatever whatever comes to our mind yeah yeah, yeah totally yeah definitely and uh, i think it's a it's a really important point particularly you spoke a little bit about the um, stop start nature of climbing and the amount of times I think all of us have had the experience of getting to a break and then looking down and being like well that cam's a long way away and actually <laughs> it, it wasn't very good when I put it in and then you're looking up and you're like oh this next bit looks spicy and then suddenly yeah. you're totally not focused on the climbing you're focused on the consequence and the risk and what's happening around you and you know that dog's yapping at the bottom of the crag um, so I think that's a it's a really really great strategy you developed yeah yeah, no, thanks. It's definitely, definitely helped me in so many situations over the years. So yeah, definitely. It's good. Are there any habits or routines that you have been a real game changer for you or that you can have frequently engage in? Um, habits biting my nails, probably. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily I wouldn't necessarily, nothing, nothing that comes to mind, no, no, no necessarily, necessarily habits or routines. Um, I guess from a physical stance, something that I do before actually really hard things set. Um, if I'm training, I always tend to have like a very short fingerboard session just to like really like engage my fingers because I, I found out, um, like, I guess like, I don't know, six, six, five or six years ago that um, I found that fingerboarding before hard climbing was like really good for just getting ready to pull hard and just getting my, my fingers and forearms ready. Um, something I've, I've started doing with the crag is just taking along like a little fingerboard. But I've also got these other things which are basically like, they're like little plastic uh, edges which I, I put a sling on and I put it on my foot and I just stand at the bottom of the crag and I pull really hard. Um, but that's that's like a sort of physical physical bit of prep that I think has has been mega helpful. Um, but I, I I guess like nothing. I don't know. Not 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 really much of a routine sort of person, really. <laughs> no, I mean that's that's, to that's totally fair. It's always really interesting to hear the differences between athletes there, and I don't think there's a there's no right or wrong, right? Like some people are very driven by routine and structure, and some people kind of like to figure it out a little bit on a day-by-day -day basis yeah i would say i would say like ages ago like years ago when i was doing competitions 
I remember reading this thing about, um, you know, it's good to have a, have a routine and it to be the same routine every single time you go and then you know that you're ready. Problem I found with that was if the routine was even slightly off, it would put me off. Um, and I think that my brain's probably too chaotic to really um, have the same routine every single time. Uh, or if, it, if I did manage to have the same routine, I would focus way too much on the things that didn't go uh, well. So I found it was just much easier just to like show up and be like, hey, you got your warm, you got, I got my warm up. I, I always kind of warm up and then I always kind of, you know, do a bit of bouldering or do a bit of fingerboarding and then I'm ready to go. And it's, it's fairly like, it's a fairly basic routine. Um, there's nothing special about it. And, uh, but it's not, and it's not exactly the same every single time, but it works for me. Well, it sounds like you've done a good job of coming up with a structure that's flexible enough that it can accommodate those little changes, right? And it can, you know, roll with the punches of what's going on while also yeah. kind of serving your, serving your needs. Yeah. And, and I guess also, you know, the sort of climbing I do, you know, I'm never in the same environment. It's not like I go to a climbing wall every single day and I have the same uh, set of, set, same traverse I can do every single time and then the same fingerboard and the same edge and same weights. It's like some days, some days I go to a boulder where there's literally only like a font AT and a, and a, and a, and, a, and that's it maybe, you know, that's all I've got to try. Or, you know, I w wake up in the morning on a portal ledge up halfway up a big wall and uh, the pitch is 513C or something. Um, so I've got to be like, right, 513C for breakfast it is, you know, how am I going to get warmed up for this after like three days of nonstop climbing? Um, you know, I will just basically like go up the first clip pull on the edges, get warmed up until I feel ready. And I guess that's a thing I've, I've developed like a keen uh, sort of understanding of how my body feels um, when I'm, you know, at any, any moment, I know when I'm ready to pull hard. Um, I know, you know, I know that I can get away with climbing on small holds at this point. And so as long as I get to that point, um, I can then perform. So I just have to, I have just to know, I know how that feels and uh, it's very, it gets intuitive of me, but it's been developed over many, many years of being in these situations. Yeah, that awareness must have come about so much from the variety of experiences you've had, right? It's like we don't develop that awareness if we're doing the same thing on a regular basis. Yeah, totally. I, I, exactly. And it's funny, actually, I can, uh, I actually have a funny story. I was climbing, uh, in Germany and I was in this big group of really good climbers. There was like, it was me and Tommy Caldwell were climbing together and there was um, Killian Fischhuber and Angie Eiter who are like really obviously like famous like competition climbers. And uh, it was like a helicopter and uh, it was like a really amazing Austrian, Austrian climber and a bunch of other really strong climbers basically. We rocked up to this crag in the Frankenjura and they were like, oh, what are you going to warm up on? And me and Tommy looked at this 7B plus and we were like, oh, we'll do this one. And then one of them was like, that's a shit warm up. <laughs> but we both like looked at it and we're like, well, like, the first 10 meters looks quite easy. And then it doesn't look too like bad after that. It looks like it got the crux at the top. So I reckon the first part of the route will probably warm us up really well. And, uh, and it did, it did warm us up really well. And then we, we were able to do it like as a warm up route. And then uh, one of the girls who was with us was just like, I've never seen anyone just warm up on seven B plus in the Franken like again. And Tommy was just like, "Was well, what you do when you have the big wall, you know, like you just wake up in the morning, you have to do something pretty hard. So you get used to it, you get used to the feel. So, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I don't obviously condone 
warm-ups like that all the time and i think it takes like uh almost like a an understanding an intuitive understanding of like what you're capable of doing and 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 obviously like uh you know i can look at the rock and kind of tell what what's coming and it, and it kind of work it works for us yeah and probably like a humility right in terms of knowing how hard you can try without injuring yourself and where yeah. kind of the ego is coming into play and and all that stuff oh definitely definitely i mean like I, I know that if I got to a point where I was like, this is actually too hard, I need to like probably pull back, I would just sit on the rope and it would be absolutely fine, you know? And uh, I'd just take that on the on the chin, really. <laughs> Definitely something we learn over we learn over time. It's, it's a lesson that's hard learned a lot of time, I think. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, 100%. Is there anyone over the years you've been really inspired by and is there anything in particular that you've learned from them? I mean, like, in climbing there's just so many amazing climbers um that you can take inspiration from from literally anyone you know anyone who's performing at like a high level if you're looking for inspiration for performance and for getting better you, you just literally have to look at any of the world's best climbers um one person i would say you know who i actually haven't climbed a lot with over the years but i climbed a bit with them is dave mcleod i think dave mcleod is like an absolutely amazing climber and he is somebody who is self-confesses self-confessed weak weakling like he doesn't consider himself a very strong climber and i've seen him climb indoors and i would agree with that he's not like a good indoor climber and there are kids at the wall who would burn him off and yet he boulders on 8c he climbs 9a he climbs 90 on trad you know like his stuff like the stuff he has put up in scotland uh, that none of it gets a repeat hardly ever and it's not because it's necessarily in the middle of nowhere it's because it's bloody hard and it's bold and it's scary and uh, he approaches climbing like a surgeon um and that's something i've i've really been inspired by over the years and in the times that i've climbed with him it's just his attention to detail and it's something i've always tried to i think it's something i've always had a natural I've naturally gravitated to as well in terms of the approach I have to climbing, like breaking things down to their, you know, basic, you know, basic parts and trying to get really detailed with the technique and the, and the movement and understanding kind of what I need to do to achieve. But I think that Dave actually does it at like, you know, a PhD level, like, you know, he just, he's like, as I said, he's a surgeon. He takes these little, little details and he, he knows what to do and he can he can bring a climb down to his level which i think is really cool we were actually like hanging out last year a wee bit and we were chilling out in the van like having a cup of tea and he said that he wants to be the weakest climber to boulder font ac <laughs> you know and i was like no dave that's my goal <laughs> yeah i just think it's i think it's a really good attitude to have because i think like the the common approach with a lot of young climbers uh, now is they just want to be the strongest climber and um, they want to um you know there's the old wolfgang gulick quote you know like was it power no your power is never enough or no whatever you know no power you and um, you've never got enough power or something like that i i'm always a bit like well yeah but if you're a really good climber then you can use what you what power you've got you know you can use more more of that power you can you can you can use it better in a more efficient way so i guess like i would i was always the sort of person who 
wanted to become as good as I possibly could be so that any strength gains or any power gains or any fitness gains I made were, were you know, like made tenfold by the skills that I had. Um, so yeah, I'd say like Dave McLeod is like the, I think he's the epitome of that approach to climbing. And for that, I have a lot of, I get a lot of inspiration from him. Um, and I think like from a, taking away from climbing, um, just speaking, you know, personally, um, my own father, you know, he wasn't a climber. Climbing's, there's no other climbers in my family. Um, my dad was just someone who worked incredibly hard, but loved what he did. And uh, when I was young, you know, he would do long days. He, he owned like a little bathroom shop and he, he's, he's very, very stereotypical Jewish man. He, uh, he was like a proper like Dell boy. He loved like selling, you know, sits, he was a salesman, you know, and, uh, you know, like I used to look at him, his life and think that, you know, it was, it was horrible because he was always working. He was always working. He was always at the shop, you know, like he never, he never really rested, but actually I've just, you know, my, the way I approach climbing, I've seen so much of my, of my dad and me and the, and, and the, and I guess like, I don't know if it's necessarily natural or perhaps it's, it's learned behavior from just over the years from seeing my dad. But, um, but even more so now that he's gone, I, uh, I take a lot of inspiration from, from him and, and knowing the, I guess the sacrifices he made for, for his career and for his, his business and, and for his family as well. Yeah, that sounds like a, like such, such a fantastic environment to be raised in with that kind of uh, behavior being modeled. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious if you've received any really great advice over the years or, or anything that's really stood out to you. Yeah, yeah. I've actually got like one moment which I think was uh, amazing. And it's a very simple, very simple thing. I was climbing with, uh, it was actually on the Alpine Trilogy. It was in the final route, Disguising Neue Kleider. I was with my friend Mish Kemeter, who's, you know, Mish is, uh, he's not like the world's most famous climber. He's 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 really well known in austria as being this wild uh guy he's always got a smile on his face he tries super hard and he climbs up to 8c plus probably 9a you know if he really tried and uh, tried you know if he tried harder and uh and we decided to go and do the alpine trilogy together or the final uh disguiser together and on the final pitch i uh, on the the red point go I, I knew I could do it and I was feeling good and I went for it, but the pressure was getting to me and it was the first time I'd felt pressure in so long. And I think it was because I realized it was like, this was the, you know, this was the, the final route, the final pitch, the sun was going down. I was like, there was so much at play and, uh, I took a fall quite early on in the route and I, I, I had a wee bit of a tantrum, you know, I was like getting really angry. And, uh, and Mish is like, he's just got this really cool attitude. He's smiling. He's like, just chill out, man. Just keep smiling. He just said that, just keep smiling. And I was like, all right. You know, I sat down there. I was like, I'll just keep smiling. Okay. I'll just enjoy this process. It's hard to do that in those moments. I belayed Mish. I came down from the, from that uh, point in the route. I belayed Mish. Mish smashed it. He just did it first go. Um, and I was like, Christ, all the pressure in the world is now on me because 
I was questioning if if Mish does has done it now, like is he gonna come back up here and bully me another day? You know, there's all all these things like, oh God, you know, and Misha just sat with me at the at the billion was like, just keep smiling, man, just keep smiling. I was like, all right, I'll keep smiling. <laughs> so I forced a smile on my face and I was like, right, come on, find the inner, the inner joy of just going climbing. And I did. And then I just floated up the pitch. I allowed myself to sit, to try hard not to be um disabled by the fear of failing. And I, and I smashed it and I got to the top just before the sunset, stood on top of that mountain and it felt amazing. And then when, uh, you know, when we, when I abseiled back down to the, the belay, because I was literally standing on top of the mountain, that was the end of the route. When I abseiled back down to the belay, um, Misha was standing there smiling and they've got this amazing footage. He was just like holding the camera of me abseiling down. I was like screaming. And then he'd drawn in, in chalk, a big smiley face on the rock right next to the belay. And uh, a part of me wonders if that chalk's still there, because I don't think there's much water not much rain gets there but i just love i love that that was his approach that's his attitude and 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 mish i guess he's somebody who's quite annoyingly happy all the time because you're like nobody can be this happy but he is and i i think that um that was a wonderful will let a wonderful lesson you know right there and then just to keep smiling that's uh that's such a powerful moment and thank you for sharing that with us it sounds almost like euphoric topping out and then being like oh this is it yeah yeah, probably. I mean, like the again, as I said at the beginning, it was like the culmination of so many years. It was the final route of the trilogy. It was a goal, uh, and it was a a wonderful moment to for all to end with. You know, just standing on top and, and smiling and being there with a good friend. Yeah, you can see from from just how you talk about it how um, impactful that has been, uh, and how kind of fondly you recall it even a couple of years later now. Yeah, yeah, I really do. If you were to offer like a younger Robbie any advice, if you were to think back, roll back the clock, you know, 15, 20 years, if you were to offer kind of Robbie Phillips starting out as a rock climber, any advice? Is there anything that you'd you'd say to them? Um, you know, it's funny, I had to think about this as well. And uh, I honestly, you know, sometimes I, sometimes I, I, I think to myself, you know, I started climbing when I was 15 years old. I was like, Bloody Adam Andra climbing 9A when he was 15. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, you know, there's kids at the climbing wall today who are 15 years old who are climbing like 8B or winning, you know, championship medals. And my life up to 15 years old was that of like a normal kid. I, you know, just like running around like the hills with my mates, like playing hide and seek and not, you know, no, no real like no real sports, like no performance oriented things, just kind of like a normal sort of childhood sort of thing. And I, I sometimes look back and I think if I could just tell Robbie to start earlier, then you'd be so much better now. But, you know, I think who I am right now is a combination of, you know, everything that I've done in my life. And I like who I am as a person. Um, I, you know, sometimes I wish I climbed harder, but wishing never gets you anywhere. You've got to actually go and do it. And uh, I, I, I don't think that I would necessarily want to change any of that. So I, I don't honestly, honestly don't think I would give him any advice. Maybe boulder outside a bit more. 
because I'm I've got weak ass fingers. That's the main thing. That's the thing I struggle with the most. I wish I'd bouldered more when I was younger, but that's about it. You know, I think uh, I've gotten to a pretty good level. You know, doing what I've done, and I'm happy there. And that speaks it's again so powerfully to just the butterfly effect of you know if you, if you change anything earlier, then it has this knock on effect and the trajectory of what goes on down the line. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I ask I ask that question to a lot of people, both as part of this project and just in my day to day life. And you would be amazed how many people share your opinion uh, and your stance on that. I, I hear time and time again that actually, like you know, despite the challenges and the setbacks and the stuff that could have gone differently, I'm happy, yeah. I'm happy with what I've got now. And you know, if I change anything, then that would change that too. Yeah, totally. And I think you know, if you if you're the opposite, it's almost like having regret. You know, and regret really doesn't help you. You know, it's you've you've got to. I think like reflection is really important, Ref, and uh, reflecting on what you've learned and things you've done, and if you can give advice to younger people or other people, not necessarily younger people, but anybody else coming into the sport and trying to teach them, you know, the things you've learned the hard way, to, so that they can learn faster, then that's great. But you know. You shouldn't have regrets. You should you should be happy with what you are and always be looking forward. Always be trying to do one more move. <laughs> talking about talking about looking forwards, what's the future look like for you? Do you have any kind of big plans or projects on the horizon? Anything you're really stoked on? Yeah. So I guess like you know, obviously, like in the UK, we're still we're we're not obviously not in a lockdown anymore, but you know, there's still restrictions on travel and international travel, especially. Um, I mean, we can we can travel within the country every, anywhere we want, really, but we can't uh, we can't go abroad. And I, I think I've I've taken that as like a really positive thing. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not looking at going abroad anytime soon. And um, I'm quite happy to stick stick with the British Isles. We've got so much awesome climbing in the UK and um, across like every discipline you can imagine. So I'm just psyched to explore more of my backyard. Um, we're going up to Orkney to try the Long Hope Direct, which is um, a Dave McLeod, a Dave McLeod route, like an E10 on arguably the UK's highest sea cliff. This is mega, like 400 meter, you know, face, you know, in Orkney, which is almost as far north as you can go. Um, we've also got a trip in July to St Kilda, which is this insane, like, group of islands uh, west of the British Isles. It really is out there on its own. It's part of the British Isles, but it looks a long way away, and it's a really wild place. There are no, um, there are no inhabitants anymore on that isle, and there's just wild formations. Um, so I'm looking forward to going and doing some exploring and first ascending out there. And uh, as for a bit longer, longer term, I've been, uh, I'm, I'm really motivated by big walls and going and doing more of that sort of stuff and first ascending especially in big wall environments, uh, also in like higher, higher altitude or the higher mountains. And I've had this trip that I've been planning for two years, but it's been, um, it's been blocked by, by lockdowns and that's to Pakistan, to the Triangle Towers. So we originally planned to go last year, but then we couldn't. So we, we thought we might go this year, but I've decided that I still think it's fairly unethical to travel internationally, even if you could. Um, I'm sticking with my guns and I'm going to uh, not put anyone at risk. So I think that we'll probably look at doing that next summer. 
So that's uh, that's probably my next really big goal. Really, yeah. That sounds like an amazing set of plans. And I'd highly recommend anyone listening or watching checks out uh, Dave's video on The Long Hope. That's uh, a really, really high quality short climbing film and, and really starts to showcase a little bit of what Robbie's talking about. What does your what does your support system look like? Who have you got around you? Who's in your corner, either on a on a personal level and also on like a, a company a company level? I know you mentioned some earlier. Yeah. Um so I guess like my girlfriend is like a massive support. Mary. Um she's in the other room now. Uh, she's always like she's I mean, she's a she's a, she's a climber, she's not a professional climber, um just has like a, a normal marketing job um but uh, she's always like been a massive support to me and uh a real like uh i guess like you know when i'm struggling with uh whatever issues i'm having at the time you know if i feel like i'm climbing rubbish and i come back and i'm like in a bad mood because like most climbers my happiness is intrinsically connected to how well i'm climbing you know she's always been like the, the shoulder i cry on so <laughs> and she's always got good advice and and my mom as well like she um she's always been a massive support in terms of like uh in terms of like sort of like sp sponsors i think i'm pretty lucky that i work with a good group of brands who all have very ethical stances and like their ethos align with my own uh, patagonia scarpa and uh, Edelrid. and i've been with Edelrid as i said since i was 18 so a long time scarpa since 2016 i think it was and patagonia since the, the same actually patagonia since 2016 so you know i'm i, I like building these long-term relationships i like um i like the idea that these brands and the people that work for them and uh you know end up becoming close friends you know and it kind of feels like a more like a family environment than anything else I'm lucky that I have that and they've always been massively supportive. But I've always, I, I guess like that's another thing, you know, I remember Neil Gresham actually gave me a really good piece of advice early on in my professional career. And he said that sponsorship is not a right, it's a privilege. And uh, if any if any brand or anyone saw, you know, saw something in me and, and thought sought to like, support me in any way i always felt very grateful for that and i wanted to do anything i could to to say thanks and to help them and so i've always seen it as a very two-way street which i guess is like why you know my professional career and the way i work with brands is very hands-on you know i'm not someone who just like i i i call myself, call myself a professional climber but i always like to use the professional climber because i just see myself as a climber who works in the industry i work for these brands um, I give as much as, as they give and what they give allows me to have the freedom and flexibility to do some amazing things and I'm, I'm grateful for that so um, yeah I always do my best for them. It sounds like those relationships over the years have just continued to be so mutually beneficial for both yourself and for, for the brands that you represent. Yeah yeah definitely and I think that they, they always they're always uh, improving and changing slightly and you know what you know especially like for example more recently of the last like uh, year and a half uh, we started a youtube channel and uh, i saw that as an opportunity in multiple ways i saw it as an opportunity to 
support a friend who wanted to you know make films i saw an opportunity so my sponsors who you know obviously got more um visibility that way but i also saw it as an amazing opportunity to just basically um well to to share more uh of the sort of fun i have with climbing with the rest of the world and to share skills and, and and lessons i've learned um but also as a means for me to look back almost like a diary and and look back at these these climbing trips i've been on and these these adventures with, with my mate cullen who's who's the filmmaker and uh, the thing that i like about those youtube videos is when i look back at them you know they're obviously edited in a way that is fun but i look back and i watch them and i think that the way they're it's always exactly how I remember it in my head. You know, that that is what happened at the crag. You know, there's no there's no extra things we've done. We've not like we've not like you know tried to edit it in a way that's fake. It is, that's how it was. And I, I want to share that that fun approach to climbing. I, you don't have to be like super serious. You can take it seriously. That's cool. Take it seriously. I take climbing seriously, but enjoy it. And uh, and that's kind of what we've we've tried to do with uh, with the YouTube channel. That sounds like such a wonderful time capsule of kind of these moments in time that you can always look back on. They're kind of immortalized now in those films. Uh, yeah. And I them back all the time. I go back into the archives and, and watch the Joshua Tree ones. I'm like, oh, I remember that. That was such a good trip. I want to go back again. <laughs> I'll be sure to put the links to to Robbie and Cullen's channel and all your brands in the description. People can check them out if they've not already. It's highly recommend giving it giving it a watch. There's tons of really great videos on there. Yeah, yeah, no, thanks. Cheers. Robbie, I can't thank you enough for your time today. I really, really appreciate just hearing all your insights and getting to pick your brains about this stuff. And, and I, I can't wait to share it with people, honestly. Do you have a do you have one takeaway for us or any closing words, final bits of advice? Um, <clears throat> I guess just enjoy climbing, try your best. That's all that really matters. I think that's, I guess that's kind of like the, my, my, that should be like my motto or something. <laughs> you know, that's pretty much <laughs> what I talk about all the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm wealthy. It's a new Twitter bio for you right there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm, I'm thanks very much for having me on here and, uh, I hope everyone enjoys the, enjoys the podcast. Robbie, where can we connect with you? Where can people follow along your journey? Where can they stay involved? Where can they see about kind of your upcoming trips? Yeah. Um, so like I tend to keep Instagram like fairly, that's the most up-to-date sort of social media thing I use. It's just like at Robbie Phillips underscore. I think it should be pretty obvious. It's the one where my face is like this. Um, and then obviously if you click on it, there'll be loads of climbing pictures. Um, and then the YouTube channel, we do like a, a weekly video. and And that's like, it's it's like as up to date as it can be we're we're not like organized enough that we have usually loads of videos in the archive where you pretty much working on like a we'll do a video and then we have like and then it comes out we'll do a video and then it comes out um so we need to get more organized for that sort of stuff but it's pretty up to date and uh as i said like a lot of the archive stuff are is really good fun um i guess i think we've just continued to improve on the quality of the videos so yeah, you'll get to see lots of cool stuff coming up. Amazing. Again, I'll put links and people should go follow along. There's a, there's a ton of really amazing content coming out there. And uh, yeah, finally, Robbie, thank you again for, for chatting with me today. I know this has been uh, this has been a real honor to have this conversation and get to talk about this stuff with you. Um, and hopefully it's offered some insights for everyone 
kind of listening into what goes what goes on behind the scenes a little bit yeah thanks very much man i really appreciate uh, you asking me to come on here thanks for joining me for that conversation with robbie phillips i loved hearing how robbie ties together practical examples from the lessons that he's learned throughout his career as always if you enjoyed this content and want to see more like it then please take the time to share it with your partners and friends and subscribe wherever you're joining us from i've been andre manzuk and this has been mountain mindset until next time